This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Hello, I'm Libby Zneimer. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. Here at home, there was a furor this week over possible changes to old age security, and that's what we're concentrating on today. The clear message from Ottawa is that the Harper government will not back down from plans to cut this spending, though they haven't told us exactly what those plans are. The controversy reached a fevered pitch when Globe and Mail columnist Margaret Wente suggested that CARP's advocacy amounts to a war against the young. I'll be joined by Margaret Wente and Susan Eng, CARP's Vice President of Advocacy. Stay tuned for a very lively and informative debate. And coming up on Friday, the much-anticipated Mervish production of War Horse will take to the stage at the Princess of Wales Theatre. We'll get a behind-the-scenes look from reporter David Bale. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. He's an uber-Zoomer at 83, but Gordie Howe isn't slowing down. The man known as Mr. Hockey has embarked on a series of fundraisers for research into dementia. It's a personal cause. The disease killed his wife, Colleen, in 2009, and now Mr. Howe is facing his own struggles with cognitive decline. His son, Marty, wants to make it clear that while his father does not have dementia, he is suffering from mild cognitive impairment, which often leads to confusion, short-term memory loss, and fatigue. After Colleen's death, the Howe family teamed up with Baycrest to help raise money to fight Alzheimer's disease. They're now promoting a series of pro-am hockey tournaments across the country that will benefit the Gordian Colleen Howe Fund for Alzheimer's. Meanwhile, there's interesting new research about how the disease attacks us. Alzheimer's disease appears to spread through the brain, traveling from neuron to neuron in much the same way that an infection or cancer moves through the body. The study authors say the identification of this pathway could greatly influence future research involving both the prevention and treatment of the disease. One of Egypt's most popular actors is facing jail time for allegedly insulting Islam in movies and plays. 72-year-old Adel Imam has been sentenced to three months after being accused of frequently mocking authorities and politicians in his films and of offending Islam and its symbols, including beards. The case against him was brought by Asran Mansour, a lawyer with ties to Islamist groups. The authorities say they handed down the three-month sentence because Imam failed to show up in court, and some legal analysts believe it will be overturned on appeal. A Zoomer treasure hunter may have found his jackpot. Greg Brooks of Subsea Research in Maine has found a World War II-era wreck at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean that may be worth up to $3 billion. It's a British passenger ship that sank while making a trip from Halifax to Boston. It was carrying a large cargo of precious metals, including platinum, supposedly a special war payment from the Soviet Union to the United States. 
Brooks says he also believes the ship may have been carrying around $165 million worth at today's prices of other valuable metals. Brooks is determined to keep his haul, but the matter could end up in court. Since the payment was never delivered, the United States government might be able to lay claim to the medals. And finally, it was a sad week for the boxing world. Angelo Dundee, the famous trainer of both Muhammad Ali and Sugar Ray Leonard, passed away at the age of 90. Mr. Dundee worked in boxing for more than 60 years and was best known for molding the young Ali into a champion. They met in the late 50s when Ali, then a teenager known as Cassius Clay, called on Mr. Dundee for boxing advice. He became Ali's full-time trainer after the boxer won an Olympic gold medal in 1960. He went on to be the man behind Ali in two very famous fights that were also major cultural events of the 20th century, the Rumble in the Jungle and the Thrilla in Manila. Dundee was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 1994 after a career that spanned six decades training 15 world champions, including Sugar Ray Leonard, George Foreman, Carmen Basilio, and Ali. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It's time for a quick break, but don't go away. Is the government about to cut our old age security? I'll have an in-depth look at that in just a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. After a week of controversy and speculation about the government's plans to make cuts to old-age security, there was finally some confirmation on Friday afternoon. Diane Finley, Minister of Human Resources and Skills Development, spoke to reporters. But instead of giving details, she offered reassurance. None of the details of the policy or the timing have been announced yet, uh, but I can assure you that it the timelines uh, for implementation will be long enough and gradual enough that there won't be any sudden shocks to the system for anyone uh, who needs time to adjust. As I said, anyone who is currently receiving benefits or who will be soon will not be affected by this. But people who are planning for their retirement will have enough time to adjust and adapt their retirement plans. Finley says the problem is that OAS payments will rise from $36 billion now to $108 billion in 2030. But given that those numbers are not new, the question is, why didn't the Harper government raise this during the election campaign? The uh, situation in Europe has really focused the hearts and minds of a lot of people on the seriousness of this situation and that now is the time to address it. If we wait uh, even five years, the situation will only become worse and much more difficult uh, to correct. As I said, this came after the debate was raging all week. The slugfest reached its height when Globe and Mail columnist Margaret Wente took on CARP, accusing the organization of stifling the debate. In Wente's view, fighting against cutbacks to seniors' pensions is a war against the young. I reached Margaret Wente at her home in Toronto. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Libby. In your column, you write that the war against seniors' pension reforms is a war against the young. Why? The reason is every Western democracy is looking at changes to seniors' entitlements and under the retirement age. 
everybody has started doing this except the United States. So we are not alone. This is a really big movement. Um, the reasons are, are really simple, and they're, and they're very well known. First of all, we have a huge age wave coming at us of people like me on the brink of seniordom who are going to be living longer and longer than ever before, and not enough younger people to pay all the taxes that used to support all of those entitlements. Given the fact that we really only have a limited amount of money to go around, the more of our social money that goes to supporting the elderly is the less money that will go to supporting the young. And that's a big problem. It's a trade-off that we really have to think about. I agree we have to think about it, but why characterize it as a war between the generations at the end of the day if the older generation, if your parents don't have enough money, you know, it is the younger generation that ultimately would have to step up to take care of them. Of course, and um, nobody is saying starve the old, Libby. But the point is that many seniors do have enough money, but we don't uh, apply the same kinds of tests to giving seniors money as we do to everybody else. For example, why give me money? I don't need it. The thing is, the seniors' lobbies in both the United States and here try to shut down this conversation as soon as anybody tries to start it. They start conjuring up images of little old ladies dying in the streets. Margaret, because I just... we have to start asking these questions honestly if we are going to put our society on a sustainable basis so that there will be any pensions at all for the younger generation. You think it's ludicrous for your affluent pals to get it, and you say that neither you or I would need it, but the fact is... We won't get it because they start to claw it back at around $67,000, and by the time you reach about 100000 it's completely gone. That's right. And, well, why, but, anyone gets a, why, why anyone with an income of 100000 gets any of it? Well, they don't. I'm really not sure. They don't. The broader point is this. By shutting down any conversation, any conversation at all, dealing with seniors' entitlements before they even get started is a terrible disservice to the conversation that we have got to have and we've got to have it very soon. And the conversation is how do we put ourselves on a sustainable basis as a society without transferring a disproportionate amount of our social wealth to the older generation at the inevitable expense of the younger generation. Even now you can see it happening. The suggestion uh, that we postpone the retirement age to 67 or 66 from 65. Yes. This seems to me like a discussion that we also absolutely have to start having. Let's remember that when OAS was introduced back in the 50s, most Canadians died before they could ever collect it. Absolutely. And anyone who did collect it, collected it for a couple of years, and then they died because lifespans were so short. Situation is different now, and I'm not talking about who deserves it. Of course, you know, we all deserve everything. But now, uh, somebody starts collecting OAS, is likely to collect it for 20 years or even more. And that simply has not figured into our calculations. If we were inventing old age security today, would we start granting it at 65 to everybody? No, we would not. Well, apparently there are some calculations which show that actually raising the eligibility rate for old age security is only going to save 2 or $3 billion a year, which uh, is probably a drop in the bucket. OAS itself is a symbol of a much bigger conversation that we have to have, and I'm very glad that we've started it. This is going to be the big conversation of our generation and our children's generation. And I would say, let's start thinking more about our children and our grandchildren and about their tax burden. 
because if we take it all, there is going to be none left for them. Well, the system as it is is simply not sustainable. And that's not a matter of social justice. It's just a matter of the way it is. Look at the math. Germany has moved back the retirement age to 67. Britain is doing the same thing. Greece, as you know, has had to make huge adjustments to its pensions and entitlements. We're not going to be exempt from that. Well, we're not going to be exempt from it, but the fact is we have not mismanaged our economy in the same way that those European countries have. No, we have not. Thank God for that. Thank so we goodness. We have more time and more latitude to do the right thing. It's not a matter of mismanagement. It's a matter of demographic. Now, Margaret, when you talk about the demographic in this column, you refer to them, to us, repeatedly as geezers. You're writing about a tsunami of geezers. You know, I know for a fact that there have been some hurt feelings over this. I say it with pride, Libby. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And, uh, you know, I will, I, I'm just trying to take a little run at the the sanctimony that has surrounded this issue that, that, you know, that everything involving seniors is somehow sacred and seniors are a sacred, untouchable class. They should not be a sacred, untouchable class. Why should they have any more entitlements than, than poor children? Well, you know what the fact is? that The fact is that seniors, Zoomers, are the people who vote, and young people do not. And that is one of the big reasons that they're sacrosanct and untouchable politically. That's exactly. Politicians are so frightened to take them on that, <laughs> that I say the, the, the seniors' lobby is the most dangerous lobby in North America. You know, it's not the arms lobby. It's not the banking lobby. It's the seniors' lobby because politicians are all terrified of us. Well, that's uh, you right. Know, maybe they should take away our vote when we turn 80. <laughs> and maybe we should, we should, they should charge us a seniors' premium instead of a seniors' discount. Now, Margaret, at the end of your article, you told people to rip up their CARP memberships, and a lot of people around here were worried that, you know, in the clear light of day, you might find this rash. So a little birdie tells me that there is a complimentary membership on its way to you. Oh, do I get discounts? You get great discounts, <laughs> incredible benefits. I don't deserve them. <laughs> I will look for it. Okay, Margaret Wenty, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Libby. Well... Them's fighting words, and for some reaction, let's go to CARP's combatant in charge, Susan Eng, Vice President of Advocacy. Susan, you have been the woman of the week with this huge controversy over possible changes to old age security. So let me be the devil's advocate. We have banned mandatory retirement. People are living longer and healthier than ever. What's the problem with raising the eligibility age by two years as long as you're not taking it away from anybody who's expecting it right now? Well, you know, let's make it perfectly clear. You're absolutely right. People are living longer, healthier lives, and we should be grateful for that. That's not a curse. You wouldn't believe that when you see some of this commentary. But in fact, what's important for us is that those people who are working are not going to get it anyway. So it's not going to matter to them. Who it matters to are those people who are living hand-to-mouth now, who've lost their jobs already, not getting new ones, who need that extra support just to, to get by. And those people are looking at this removal of, of some $13,000 from their budgeting as a serious issue. We're talking about people who, if they lose their OAS, and if they need it, they will also lose their GIS. The Guaranteed gain- income supplement. Right. And in addition to that, there are a number of provincial programs that also are tied into whether or not you get OAS or GIS. And so, you know, that there is a concern for people who need it, that they're going to be left high and dry for those entire two years. And this also will download these costs onto the provinces.
I think it's not true. Some people say we're trying to shut down the conversation. We're trying to start it. In fact, it's the government that has shut it down. They're saying not only are we not telling you any details, we're also going to go ahead with, with whatever secret plans we actually have. And so the people who want to talk about it are people like CARP and others who want to hear the details as to what's going on next. In fact, in the many other countries where they have changed the age of retirement, they did it over a very long period of time or they ran an election on it. If the government decided that what they wanted to do is the raise the eligibility age for old age security, but do it over a long period of time, is that something that CARP would be in favor of? Let's have that conversation, but let me give you my best guess. I don't think that any government is going to be so altruistic as to t- pay the political price today for something that's not going to take effect for five or six more election cycles. The only reason they would get into this is if it's going to have some impact today. Our CARP polls show you know, an overwhelming objection to this change and also objecting that they didn't raise this in an election. Remember that most of our current members are already retired, and so they know for a fact it's not going to affect them. They're worried about the social safety net for their children and their grandchildren. Uh, some of our people are old enough to have children in their 50s who are losing their jobs, and they're worried about them. So it is more a visceral reaction to the whole thing. You didn't ask us, you didn't talk about it, and it's part of our values as Canadians to have the social safety net. So if the issue is sustainability, for example, well, where else could they save the dollars? Well, when we come out of Afghanistan, we're supposed to save $1 to $2 billion. If they had actually engaged in the health accords and brought in pharmacare, brought in proper home care, we've talked about this before, and deal with end-of-life care, they have the opportunity to save tens of billions of dollars. It is really worth our while to open that part of the conversation instead of going after the poorest of the seniors. Well, it is not, again, old age security is a universal program. So it's not, it's, it's not going after the poorest. Uh, well, here's the thing. You're absolutely right that there are many people who are not, by definition, poor who do receive OAS. Now, if you want to confine the OAS to just the poor, that's doable but not like this. You would be bringing down the threshold at which it starts to be clawed back. Now, uh, Paul Martin was the one who introduced the clawback from from zero, no clawback in 1989, and he paid the political price for it. What would you like to see as as the outcome of this? Well, first of all, I think the government should really tell us what they have in mind. It is a fundamental change in our social safety net. They really should discuss it with us and then give us an opportunity to discuss it with them. So a review, a task force, force, a commission, call it what you want, but they really have to lay this out and explain to us why something that's so important to us should be taken away with the stroke of a pen. Is the government now telling us that they were suddenly surprised at the demographic changes? Are they suddenly surprised at our increased longevity? They weren't planning for this somehow, and they they are now caught unawares. So I think that we want to stand back from this a little bit and see what's on the table and why. Okay. Susan Eng, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Clearly, there's a lot to think about here, and this debate won't be going away anytime soon. Hopefully, it won't be too long before we get a little more information from the Harper government. In the meantime, what do you think? Have you heard anything here that's made you change your mind? Please email us at zoomerweek at zoomerradio.ca with your thoughts and your comments. 
I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. Coming up in just a moment, we'll get a special backstage look at the upcoming Mervish production of War Horse. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Steven Spielberg's film War Horse has garnered six Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. But the stage play by the same name has been winning Olivier and Tony Awards since it started taking London and Broadway by storm over the past few years. Now the Mervish Company is set to open War Horse on stage with an all-Canadian cast this coming Friday. The new AM740's David Bale got a sneak preview. Father! You sold him. You sold Joey to the army. Joey's my horse. A hundred pounds. But he's mine. I won the plowing. War Horse is the story of an English boy whose beloved horse Joey is sold to the cavalry during the First World War. This is about fathers and sons. It's about the love of animals. It's about the innocence of animals in war. It's about how blind war is to the feelings of the people involved. This production is also about puppetry. Mervyn Miller trained the actors who bring a stable of life-size horse puppets to life on stage. Each one is manned by three people, making their horse breathe, twitch, whinny, gallop and trot with lifelike precision. Really the job for them is to try and become one mind, a horse's mind at that. It's rare that a story plays simultaneously both on stage and in film. The stage producers feel Steven Spielberg's film version captures the same emotional theme that has made it a success on stage. The fact that that resonates for a wonderful storyteller like Spielberg is great for us because it encourages us in what we're doing and what's special about it. I promise we'll be together again, Joey! I swear! I swear I give you my words! From the Studio City Rehearsal Hall, I'm David Bale for the Zoomer Week in Review. War Horse starts this Friday, February 10th at the Princess of Wales Theatre in Toronto. For tickets and more information, visit mervish.com. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next Sunday at noon right here on the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.